they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Here we are. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Go ahead, my love. Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, I guess. Now it's noon, officially. It's ghost time, yep. There you go. So we're um, 12 o'clock here. Um, we're going to start here with the Gospel of Matthew, the reading for today. We are in the 15th week of Ordinary Time. Today is Tuesday. Yep. Today is a memorial for uh, most of us. It's it's the, the memorial of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Now, for all Carmelites, this is a feast day. That's so right. Happy feast day to all the Carmelites <laughs> out there. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, please pray for us. Uh-huh. But the gospel is the gospel for the day. The um, ordinary reading, Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24. Jesus began to reproach the towns where most of his mighty deeds had been done since they had not repented. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty deeds done in your midst had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would long ago have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And as for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You will go down to the netherworld. For if the mighty deeds done in your midst had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Gentle Jesus, you know. Not really. (laughs) Well, and what is the reality here? Jesus came to teach us to give up our sins. He said, because you didn't repent, he did signs and wonders. He worked miracles to show that he was God present among us. And he meant that we needed to give up our sins and he would give us the grace to do that. And people didn't repent. They didn't change. They wanted him to change and fit their idea of what they thought should be the way that he should establish his kingdom. Mary, I think of today, we're no different than they were. Think about this. We talk about universal salvation. Yeah. We want to be able to be saved, but not want, not want, not have to repent. <laughs> and I see this, that nothing's new under the sun. Right. right. We're still there where we say, well, Jesus, why do I have to repent? Exactly. Can I just have a good time? And you're nice. You know, everybody tells me you're loving. Come on. Yeah. I want my truth. Yeah, you you under you understand, Lord. I have to have a good time. I have to have my relaxation and my mm-hmm. illegitimate pleasures and you know, or overindulgence in legitimate pleasure. You mm-hmm. know, it's legitimate pleasure can be a problem because it can be an obstacle to getting to God because if we overindulge in it, all things in moderation. There you go. Temperance. And we're not made for a finality here in this world. We're made for heaven. We're made for union with God. We're made for greatness. Um, we're not made for uh, mediocrity or, or, you know, just um, middle of the road, you know, lukewarmness. We are made for greatness. We're made for union with God. 
And we won't achieve that if we don't give up our sins. And it's interesting because, you know, he's telling these people, these are the people, these contemporaries. And he tells them that Tyre and Sidon would still be, you know, it would be, it would be easier on the day of judgment for them. Why? Because Jesus didn't walk in the midst of Tyre and Sidon. So yeah, they were a sinful people and they did horrible things, but they didn't have God present. They didn't have Emmanuel, God present among them. And he said, it's going to be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than it will be for Capernaum. Capernaum is one of the places where Jesus worked miracles. Well, what about Sodom? Like, well, Jesus says, if the miracles that I did in Capernaum were done in Sodom, Sodom would still be standing. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, God gives to everyone sufficient grace to be saved. That's true. But he doesn't necessarily give to everyone extraordinary graces to be saved. But nonetheless, God judges us on what he's given us. So the people of Sodom didn't have as much. They didn't have the grace that the people of Capernaum had. That's right. And so to to and Jesus says this, to him whom much has been given, much will be expected. That's right. So if we've had the gospel preached to us and we've been baptized Catholics and we've had the opportunity to know the truth and we haven't availed ourselves of it, our judgment is going to be far more severe than the judgment of those who didn't have that opportunity. You know, Mary, this is another topic, but it, it the principle is here throughout the gospel. For example, through no fault of their own, right? Right. Somebody has not been evangelized. Right. Are they going to be accountable as much as someone who's been given in baptism? No. So it just makes sense. Yeah. But continue, please. Yeah. So that's Jesus is showing us that, you know, when he when he does things for us, when he gives us grace, it's not it's not a matter of of um, he owes this to us. Mm-hmm. And well, he ought to, and <laughs> we can just be complacent about it and take it for granted. It's interesting because the priest at mass this morning, Monsignor, at uh, he talked about Our Lady of Mount Carmel and wearing the scapular. And our Blessed Mother promised St. Simon Jude Stock that anyone who died wearing the Carmelite habit yeah. would not go to hell. That's right. And and so it became adapted that lay people could wear the brown scapular, but they're supposed to be enrolled in the brown That's scapular. Right. But remember, the scapular is a work apron, and it's not a good luck charm. And I remember when I was in college, I used to give brown scapulars out to students, and, and I remember this one guy said, oh, yeah, I'll put this on, and I'm guaranteed to get to heaven. And I said, don't work that way. You have to live your life according to the gospel. You have to change. You have to give up your sins. Mm-hmm. And Monsignor told us a story, and it was this this prostitute who she she wore the brown scapular, but she was a prostitute. And when she was dying in a hospital, the sisters tried to get it. You know, she, will you go to confession, have a priest come in here? You can, I don't need a priest. I've got the brown scapular. I'm wearing the brown. I can't go to hell because I'm wearing the brown scapular. But she refused to confess her sins and she refused to repent. She was wearing the brown scapular as if it were a good luck charm. Yep, that's right. And so when she was actually dying and getting close to death, she actually tore the brown scapular off. She said, this is burning me. It's burning me. It's just, and she couldn't stand it anymore because our lady was calling her to repent and she refused. There you go. And she refused and she was beginning to feel the fires of purification and she threw them away. 
instead of saying, bring a priest, I need to go to confession, she threw the scapular off and she died without going to confession. That story is in the book, The Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus Liguori. Are you ready? The book is about 480 pages long, but there's story after story. If you like to hear stories about the Blessed Mother, you might consider getting that book, Glories of Mary. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I just, the reality is that, you know, God, God gives his graces, Mm -hmm. but he's not going to be mocked and he's not going to waste them. Do you remember in, in Jesus talks about the vineyard and at one point in the gospel, he says, Okay, so so the owner of the vineyard sends his servants to collect the grapes at vintage time. Mm-hmm. And if the people who are tending the, the vineyard won't refuse to give him the grapes, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to take it away from them and he's yeah. going to give it to someone else. Someone who will see to it that he has his grapes at vintage. Sometimes, Our Lord won't waste his Sometimes grapes. I think of that. I heard Bishop Sheen make the analogy that in America yeah. that will happen meaning we've been given the great grace, and if we don't use it, it will go to Africa. And think about since 1901, there were like 10 million baptized Catholics in Africa, and now there's over 220 million baptized Catholics in Africa. It's just an analogy that says if we don't use it, we lose it. Right, and that's what what the Lord warned us. You You have to avail yourself of the grace he gives, and, and, you know, the sacramentals of the church and the, the brown scapular is yeah. a sacramental. These are not good luck charms. It's not superstition. It's not, oh, I can put on a miraculous medal or I can put on a brown scapular and I can go do anything I want. And it's all good with God because I'm wearing this, this little good luck charm no. here. No, that's not, the, that's not the case. To put on a sacramental and to wear it is to say, Lord, I want to live my life according to your law. And I'm asking for the prayers of your mother and my angel and the guardian, you know, our guardian angel and the saints. And I'm asking for you to give me the graces I need to live my life according to the gospel. It's not, oh, I'll put on this little good luck charm and I'll live any old way I want. Nope, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Mary, you have a women's conference that you're going to be speaking at on the 7th of September, along with Father Murr, who just came on board last week. Uh, the men really liked Father Murr, and I'm sure the ladies will too. If you haven't signed up for the Women's Conference, Dr. Nicolosi will be there, many others. It's going to be a big conference. I believe we're going to have a lot of women there, and they're going to be blessed. So if you'd like to come, call 877-526-2151 or do it online. It's easy. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And, you know, look at the calendar of all the different events that were coming in the new year, we're already halfway through this year, yeah. but there's a Adoramus conference. There's a conference on evangelization. There's the spiritual warfare conference coming up. We want to encourage you to be informed about your faith so that it'll help you live out your vocation, especially with the women's conference right now. You know, we couldn't do anything without our, without women, especially the mothers. And, and I think father Murr, Mary Danielle and, uh, Dr. Nicolosi are going to give you much to think about here as a vocation as a woman. So don't hesitate. Get in early because we only have limited seating. Call 877-526-2151 or do it online. VirginMostPowerfulRadio.org. And when we come back, we're going to jump into the Acts of the Apostles. Is that correct? Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Chapter 10 out here. Bull, bull sheen ahead here at Virgin Most Powerful.
This is Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent real estate for life.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Amen. We're so, so glad you're with us here. Thank we're gonna you. We're going to take a look at chapter 10 of the Acts of the Apostles. And in chapter 10 of the Acts of the Apostles, we have the conversion of the centurion Cornelius. And I don't know if you'd actually call it a conversion, he, what's interesting is at the beginning of the chapter, it's Cornelius who's having a vision. And Cornelius is a Roman centurion, mm-hmm. and he lives in Caesarea. Now, this is not Caesarea Philippi, where Peter made his confession of faith. This is maritime Caesarea. It's on the coast. And he is a very devout man already. As a matter of fact, it says that he prayed constantly, and he gave alms liberally. Wow. So this man is a God-fearing man. He's yeah. and and his whole household, they're God-fearing and they pray and they and so he's praying and at the ninth hour and he has a vision of an angel. And the angel he, he's terrified and that's it, it's interesting because in the Old Testament when people really see an angel who's <laughs> from God or or have a vision of God this is, it, it's terrifying. And it's not terrifying in the sense that oh, I'm going to die. It, 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 it is, it's, it's terrifying in an awesome way. Honest. It's so beautiful. It's so overwhelming. It's so, oh, and, and then you realize your creatureliness. It's like, oh, my word, I'm, what am I or who am I that this creature should be appearing to me? And he, he says, what is it, Lord? And the, the angel or God says to him, it's, 
the angel of the Lord says to him, he says, I want you to, you're supposed to send someone to Joppa and ask for P- Simon, who's known as Peter. And he's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner near the sea. So Cornelius uh, calls two of his servants and a soldier who are very devout, and he sends them to Joppa. Well, if you remember, this is now, verse 9 is where Peter has his vision. And Peter has the vision of the sheet coming down out of heaven, and there, Peter was hungry. He's praying up on the rooftop, and he was hungry, and so someone's preparing him food. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, he goes into a trance. Yep. And the sheet comes down out of heaven, and there are animals, all kinds of animals on the sheet. Well, the Jews only ate certain things. They never ate anything common or unclean. And there are reptiles and birds, and there's stuff on the sheet. That, and Peter's like, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. And the Lord says to him, because the Lord told him, he said, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, no, I, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And, and the Lord says, Peter, what I have made clean, do not call unclean. <laughs> and this happens three times. Wow. And after the third time, Peter is like, what does this mean? What's going on here? And he's trying to figure this out. In the meantime, the men from Cornelius' house arrive, and they're inquiring about Peter. And so the spirit tells him, (laughs) Peter, there are three men looking for you. You go downstairs to the door, okay? So Peter goes down, and he says, "Um, I'm Peter. I'm the one you're looking for. And then they explained to him that the centurion Cornelius sent them. He's a God-fearing man. He's spoken well of by all the Jewish nation. And he was directed by an angel to send for you. And so he brings the men into the house and they stay with him that night. So it, here is Cornelius, the God-fearing man. He's not a member of the Jews. And yet he believes in God and he prays. And God sees his alms and his prayers. And what does God say about the alms and the prayers? He says, your alms and your prayers have ascended as a memorial before God. That's what the angel told Cornelius. So when we pray to God in all sincerity, God accepts that. You know, and that's what we need to ask ourselves. Are we being duplicitous? You know, are we like are we like Ananias and Sapphira, who, yeah, I'm going to pretend I'm giving everything to the Lord, but I'm holding something back. God sees it all. Yeah. You can't hide anything from God. You know, people, people, you think you're afraid to go to confession because you've done something that's so horrible. God already knows what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, and as one as one priest said, he said, "Look, you can't tell me anything I haven't already heard." Yeah. You know, if a priest has been hearing confessions for for a while, they've already heard it all. And, and the deal is, it's not about that. The priest is there to represent Christ. He's there acting in the person of Christ. You know, the, the, the liturgy of the Catholic Church is about entering into the Paschal mystery of Christ. And that includes all of the sacraments. We enter into that death of Christ, his death to sin, so that we can rise to life, rise to the life of grace. And so Cornelius has done this, not through the actual sacraments, but through his prayer and almsgiving, he's shown his goodwill toward God, his desire to serve only the Lord. And he prays constantly. This is a centurion, a a man that people would look at and say, well, this is a pagan. Holy man. 
And he's praying always. Yep. Are we praying always? And so we look at the story and we ask ourselves, okay, Lord, what do we need to change in our life to be more open so that we can receive the grace you want to give? Cornelius was prepared. He, had, he prayed every day. He gave alms every day. He was doing the will of God every day. He's prepared already to receive the grace that God wants to give him. If, so, I, if I can jump in, too, I want to make it real practical for mom and dad that many times God is calling you to do God's will through your duties in your state and life. Right. So if you're a mom and you've got little kids, little babies and kids, you're sanctifying God's will by doing your daily duty and taking care of those kids. If you're a student and you're going to school, your duty is to study right and do your best. And if you're a dad going to work, you're going to sanctify the temporal order by doing your work well. And so I bring this up because God's will is manifested moment by moment as long as we're staying faithful to our duties in our state and life. And we all have a, a call of holiness. It's a universal call. Right. And part of that, you know, the, the first duty of all of us is to know, love, and serve the Lord our God. Amen. Is to be united to him. And we get to know God by reading his word because he speaks to us through his scriptures. Amen. And we get to know him also in prayer because prayer is supposed to be a loving conversation with God. And this is a priority in our life. It should be a priority. The, the prayer, the, um, our spiritual exercises should be a priority in our life. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean if you have a sick child, that doesn't mean you leave that child to go to a daily mass. No. And even a Sunday mass, if there's no one else to take care of the child. But on Sunday mass, and I've seen many families do this, <clears throat> the husband will go to one mass and the wife will go to, usually you see all the family there. And then one Sunday you'll see the wife at one mass and the husband at another. It's like, oh, somebody's sick. Yep. It's real simple. You know, when the kids are sick, you're at their bedside. And, and if you can't get to daily mass for the children are sick, that's fine. Send your angel and, and make the intention, Lord, I'd like to be at mass, but this is, this is my mass. Yeah to take care of these children, and it is. And so, yeah, the duties of our state and life and our first duty, we all have a duty to pray every single day. Prayer is not an option. It's a duty. We have an obligation to enter into conversation with God because, you know, we don't make ourselves saints. I use the analogy that you can't live without breathing, right? You die. Right. And prayer is, our, is like oxygen to the soul. Yeah. The soul can't live without prayer. That's right. And so that's why uh, we need to learn how to pray. And, you know, Mary Danielle, this is just a side note. It, it appears that, as Fulton Sheen would say, we've got too many uh, go-go's and not enough come-comes. Right. It seems that we're very active in doing things, but it seems that, as Fulton Sheen says, we need to have a profound spirituality right. before we go out and evangelize. And I think Many other good books have said that. Soul of the Apostolate, I recommend people right. to read. We read that 40 years ago. And it's so important to understand uh, our prayer life is really an extension of our evangelization. Yeah, right. The prayer life is the source. It's the source. the source of our evangelization, and our evangelization will flow from that. Yep. Yeah, it's like Blessed Don Columbia Marmion. Oh, there you go. He, What's the name of that book? 
Christ, the Life of the Soul. Oh, he loves that book. He's written others too, but Christ, the Life of the Soul is, is on divine sonship. And okay. it talks about what it means that we are really God's children, his sons. Mm. And the deal is when he was growing up, he mm. was not growing up, but when he was a young monk, he yeah. was told by his spiritual director, practice the virtues, practice the virtues, practice the virtues, and eventually you'll love God. And so he was trying to do that and he wasn't yes. getting anywhere, <laughs> exactly. but he kept praying. And finally God showed him, no, that's backward. Fall in love with God, and then you'll be able to practice the virtues. Have a prayer life, and it will lead you to evangelization. Because if you love God, if you love someone, you want to talk about them to others. Isn't that what St. Augustine said? Love God and do what you want? Right. Love God and do what you will. Yeah. Because Because when you love God... Right. You will do his will. Exactly. And you will give up your sins, and you will only want to share him. You will see the goodness in him, and you will be taking delight in the good that you see in him. And you'll be desiring to share him with others. When you love somebody, you want to talk about him all the time. You know, this is, it's just the reality of what it is. And you also want to spend time with them. When you fall in love with somebody, you want to spend time. That's what prayer is, spending time with God. So it's interesting that the next day, when Peter has his vision, he's also at prayer. Mm -hmm. And he has this vision. He's in a trance. And again, the Lord is showing him. Yes, the dietary laws of the Hebrews were provisional. There were some things in the old law that were provisional. The temple would cease to exist in 70 AD. The animal sacrifices would cease. The dietary laws of the Jews didn't come into the new covenant. The circumcision of the flesh, which had been a sign of circumcision of the heart, would be replaced by baptism. Mm -hmm. And so there were things in the old law that were provisional. They pointed to a fulfillment that was coming. And so the animal sacrifices, I mean, the animal, um, the dietary laws of the Jewish people weren't going to be imposed upon the pagans who were coming into Judaism. And that was, the Lord is showing Peter, you know what? The, The gospel is for the Gentiles too. Every man on the face of this earth, I want you to preach the gospel to everyone. And that doesn't mean they have to become Jewish. And he's showing Peter too. And this is, I believe me, this is a shock for Peter. I, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. What, Lord, what are you telling me to do? I, yeah. It's against your law. Well, that was a provisional law that was superseded by the new covenant and brought to its final fulfillment. So <clears throat> Peter you know, when the men come and Peter doesn't understand the vision at first, he's not. And it's only when the Holy Spirit tells him, go down. These men are here. They're looking for you. And he goes and speaks to these men and they're, they explain to him while, while he, why he's there, why, why they are there. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, maritime Caesarea was about 60 kilometer, 60, excuse me. It was a hundred kilometers, 60 miles from Jerusalem. It was on the coast. So it was a distance. They're walking. That's a two days journey. Wow. So these men, they didn't get there right there first thing in the morning. So once they speak to Peter, then then it's late and it's too late to walk back. That makes sense. If you'd like to become a monthly donor, I appreciate you calling uh, 877-526-215 when we're in the summer slumps or looking for one-time donations also. Go to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call me, 877-526-215 when you're listening to the Bible with the Barbers. The Acts of the Apostles will continue after a short break.
This is Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent real estate for life.org 877-LIFE-US-1 This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse. And here we are again. So in verse 23, the second part of it, the next day they go off to Joppa. And um, it's interesting. Luke repeats details in this particular instance. As he's writing this, he repeats the details, you know, so you have... Um, Cornelius has the vision and then the people who come to Peter tell some of the the details of it and then when Peter goes to see Cornelius on the following day he enters Caesarea he enters um, Cornelius' house and it's interesting what Cornelius' response is Cornelius falls down and worships Peter and Peter's like no Cornelius I'm just (laughs) a man get up don't do this and again Cornelius is a pagan now, he believes in God and he prays, but he still has some of this pagan idea that there are these little demigods running around and you have to worship them. And so he falls down and worships Peter. And Peter says, no, not, not the case, which, by the way, just just as an aside here in the Gospels, when people knelt down and worshiped Jesus Christ, he never said, don't do that. It's true. OK. Yep. So he was accepting the worship that people would give to God when they gave it to him appropriately right and that was appropriate because he was he is god he's god incarnate he remains the god man for all eternity risen and glorified so peter says no cornelius you don't you don't worship me i'm just a man just like you so 
<clears throat> and um, as he talks with him, he goes into the house and he finds that there are many people gathered. Cornelius, after having this vision, he goes out and he gets his relatives and friends who are devout and he brings them. Okay. And Peter says to them, he says, you yourself know that it's unlawful for the Jews to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And then I asked then why you sent for me. So Peter has made, the, the vision made it clear to Peter, you don't call any man common or unclean. Every man on the face, every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth is called by God to live a life of union with God and to be in union with God because they're all his creatures and he wants us all to be his children in his son, to be his adopted sons and daughters so that we can be with him for all eternity in heaven. So if we're holding back the gospel because we say, well, that person's not worthy of it, uh uh-uh, we don't have a right to do that. And that's the universal call to holiness that the Second Vatican Council speaks about that I'm not quite sure a lot of us have heard that message, but it's loud and clear in the documents. It is loud and clear in the documents, and it was, you know, before the council. The council is just summing up the whole, the whole teachings of the church from all of time, but we kind of forgot it. You know, I, there was a, there was a time when the church had to make a law, excuse me, that people, yeah, had to go to communion at least once a year. That's right, because this. These ideas that we're so, Jansenism and Manichaeism had crept into the catechesis and people felt, I'm so unworthy, I can't get close to God. Right. And they weren't getting the message that you don't have to be worthy to approach God. Approach God and let his love in so that his love can change you and make you worthy. You know, it's like the, 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 the story of the man who gave the wedding feast for his son and, and the guests who were invited don't come. They weren't worthy because they wouldn't come. And so he sends his servants out into the highways and byways to bring in everybody. And then he comes and there's one man who's not appropriately dressed for, well, what's going on here? The king had provided wedding garments for the guests. Mm -hmm. The man who was inappropriately dressed had refused the wedding garment. You see, God will give us the wedding garment. He will give us the grace. He will adorn us with his love and his mercy. We just need to let him in. That's right. And so this is what Cornelius has done. And so when Peter asks him, well, why did you send for me? Cornelius explains that he, and then again, that the vision is repeated. And the, what he, he talks about the angel coming and, and he, t- telling him to go send for Simon Peter. And, and so then as he, as he finishes off, he says this to Peter. Now, therefore, we are all here present in the sight of God. This is a man who's conscious of the presence of God, who lives constantly in the presence of God. So we're all here present in the sight of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He understands that Peter has a divine command to preach to them something. And whatever it is that Peter is supposed to say, the Lord has given it to him. See, when we read the scriptures, this is how we need to approach them. Yes, the scriptures are written in the words of men, 
But the primary author of all scripture is the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in scripture that God didn't intend for to be there directly. He is the primary author. And so are we open to hearing all that God has commanded? Are we open to hearing the gospel? And we need to ask ourselves that. So Peter opens his mouth and it's like, okay, you know what? God really doesn't show any partiality. Nope. He, anybody who wants to serve him, it doesn't matter where you were born, what your circumstances are, who your ancestry is, what you've done. If you really, in your heart of hearts, if God has stirred up this desire for you to serve him and then you have responded, you are acceptable to the Lord. So in every nation, men who fear him are acceptable to him. And, you know, it was to Israel first that the word was preached. Israel was the choice of God in yeah. the Old Testament. But Israel was chosen to bring the Lord to all the nations. Israel wasn't supposed to keep the Lord for themselves. They were actually supposed to bring the nations to God. And now, of course, Jesus Christ became man. And so the preaching, and now Peter's going to tell them about Jesus Christ. He is the Lord, and he brings the news of peace. And, you know, Cornelius had probably heard some of these things because Peter's referring to him as if Cornelius has already heard them. It's, you have heard. You've heard all that went on and, and everything that was proclaimed in Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing people. And so... Peter is recalling the gospel to these people. <clears throat> and of course, then of course, he recalls the death of Jesus and what happened, even though he preached all this good stuff and he worked all these miracles and showed that he was God present among us, they killed him. But he has commanded us to preach. So he sent the apostles out to preach. And so Peter is now preaching this. And of course, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God promised in the Old Testament. We aren't going to understand what Jesus is about if we are ignorant of the Old Testament. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ because God speaks only one word, and that word is his Son. From beginning to end, from the first word of Genesis to the last word of the book of Revelation, the Scripture speaks to us of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of God, that God has a Son. And since God has a son, he's a father. And it's interesting. We were reading, was it in the catechism the other day? Mm -hmm. Fatherhood and sonship, these aren't human constructs imposed on God. These are realities in God that God has made man to reflect. So God is father because he begets and he begets a son. He has a son. And so God made the human family to be a reflection of his own inner life that he's Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and the essence of the family, which is love, the Holy Spirit. The first family is God, the Trinity. And man is made to reflect that. It's mm -hmm. not that God is made in man's image. Right. Man is made in God's image. And we know that God is Father because he has a Son, and his Son came to reveal the Father to us. And if we receive the Son and believe then we can have forgiveness of our sins through and, Jesus Christ. And much of the Old Testament, if we didn't know, if we didn't read the Old Testament, we would miss a lot of the New Testament 
teachings because, you know, there's typology, typologies of Christ in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New. And so is it a fair statement, Mary Danielle, to say that uh, by just jumping to the Gospels without having uh, read the Old Testament, you'd miss, you'd miss a lot in the New Testament? Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the Fathers of the Church said that the the New Testament was concealed in the Old Testament, yeah, but that the Old Testament is fully revealed in the New. So you read the two together, and it's the two of them have to go together. That's right. And they're dependent on one another. It's all God's mm-hmm. revelation, and he's speaking to us. And so Jesus is going to come, and he's going to judge the living and the dead, and all the prophets bore witness to him. And that's why we want to read the prophets. What did they say about him? What did they foretell? What would his life be like? You think Jesus didn't know what was going to happen? He knew the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies. And what's interesting, Peter's preaching all this to Cornelius and his household. And as he's preaching to them, mm-hmm. God pours out his spirit on these pagans. Mm-hmm. These are pagans. These are not baptized people. And they receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit before they receive the baptism of water. We are bound by the sacraments, but God is not. And again, this is God confirming to Peter that, yes, I do mean for you to baptize these Gentiles. And in order to force Peter's hand, as it were, and to really solidify it in Peter's mind, he baptizes these people in the Holy Spirit. He confirms them in their faith and in the Holy Spirit before they're even baptized. (laughs) And so they receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's like, oh, wait a minute. How can we refuse baptism to these people? God poured out his spirit upon them. Who am I to tell God he can't, you know, who am I to tell God? And yet how often, you know, how many of us do this? We think we're the ones who should tell God how things ought to be done. God, don't you think you should do this, that, and the other thing? Don't you think you should? <laughs> and it's funny. It we're, that, that's our humanness. It is. We're coming up on a break here. Yes, and we're going to come back for the final segment with the Bible with the Barbers. And uh, have a cup of coffee, eat, have lunch after the Bible with the Barbers. Here, I'd invite you with us. <laughs> I'm going to run. This is Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151.
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So we have Cornelius and his household, and they've received um, the Holy Spirit. And this is much like, as it's described here, it says, um, while Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on them, on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone forbid water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter stays with them a little while, and the people have been, you know, the, the situation here is it's similar to what they saw at Pentecost, where when the, the apostles received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in foreign languages about what God had done. And this is what they hear, and they're, they're giving praise and glory to God. So at the beginning of chapter 11 now, that's the end of chapter 10, and you, you go to chapter 11, and what happens? Everybody's really happy about this, Right. Peter goes back to Judea, and the word has reached the, the word has reached Judea already that the, the Gentiles have been um, had received the word of God, and so when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, everybody's so happy and rejoicing, right? Uh, not quite, because <laughs> remember, all of the early Christians before this event were Jews or converts to Judaism. And so there was a certain party among them, the party of the circumcision, who insisted that anyone who became Christian had to continue to follow all of the Jewish laws, the dietary laws, the circumcision law. You couldn't eat with Gentiles. You couldn't enter in their house. You couldn't. And so they're upset with Peter. You know, Peter, what's the big idea? How dare you do this? Um, has anybody ever criticized a pope before? Yeah, they were criticizing Peter. <laughs> What's interesting here is they're not criticizing on a legitimate point. They're criticizing him from their perspective because they think what he did was wrong, but they haven't heard the full story and they don't know how God's grace is working in the church yet. So Peter explains to them what happened. And he explains how when he was at Joppa, he was praying and the sheet came down. Three times. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I just jumped right on this and I just went down there and then, no, three times God had to send this sheet down with all these animals and say, kill and eat. And Peter's like, nothing unclean, Lord, nothing. And he's like, don't call what I've made clean, unclean. And so Peter then, you know, he explained that the men came from Cornelius's house and the Holy Spirit told him, go with them. And so he wasn't to make any distinction 
they weren't, he wasn't supposed to say, oh, well, those people are Gentiles. Maybe I better not go into their house. No, the Holy Spirit said, no, make no distinctions here. So there were several brethren who accompanied him down to Cornelius' house. So they witnessed this. It wasn't just Peter. There were six other men who came with him who were believers, and, and they witnessed this. And so as he gets there and he explains how as he was speaking to them, as he's preaching the word to them, they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on them as it did on us in the beginning, he explains. And then he remembered the words of the Lord, that John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And those were the words of Jesus as he was about to ascend into heaven. And he told the apostles, wait, go back to Jerusalem and pray. Wait for the promised gift of the Spirit that the Father has promised. And as John had baptized with water, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter, as he sees God pouring out his Holy Spirit on these Gentiles, he remembers what Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter reasoned, if God gave them the same gift he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus, how was I to withstand God? He understood, this is God at work. I'm not going to interfere with this. I need to follow God's lead. And maybe I have some preconceived notions that I need to let die, that I need to let go of because they're not in accord with God's plan. Okay? So this is the beauty of of the truth and, and God's word. When we open ourselves up to God's word. And by the way, God's word will never take us away from the gospel or the Ten Commandments. God's word will draw us closer and give us the courage and the strength to be able to live those things. So they glorified God and they said, well, then also the Gentiles have been granted repentance unto life. So it's it's new. It's, It's something that's to be rejoiced over. And now they do rejoice when they hear the whole story. And oftentimes, you know, we make judgments on situations without hearing the whole story. And we draw a conclusion. And you know, once we've done that, sometimes it's really difficult to unconclude that conclusion. <laughs> sometimes it's a lot harder to relearn something we learned wrong than it is to learn something we never knew before. <laughs> so um, we want to examine our preconceived notions and we want to examine how are we relating to the Lord and to those around us. Think humbly of all others as superior to yourself. Do we really take that to heart? Do we see in every human being the image of God and try to foster the growth of that image by treating that person with dignity and respect and understanding that everybody is made by God and was made for union with God? And that as human beings, we don't have a right to condemn anyone. And I don't care what anyone's done. God still wants to save their soul. And oftentimes in the Bible, God did. He chastised people for the the sake of saving their soul. And Paul, in the Corinthians, you have this incident where among the Corinthians, this, this man, Christian man, started living with his father's wife. And Paul was like, no, I, no, how do you tolerate this? This isn't tolerable. This is intolerable. This is wrong. It doesn't say it was his mother. It says it was his father's wife. 
And so he said, I've already delivered his body over to Satan so that perhaps his soul can be saved. What is Paul talking about? I'm, this man is going to be, he's going to suffer. He's going to suffer in his body, but I want him to suffer in his body so that he will wake up and hear God. You know, sometimes pain is, pain is God's megaphone, Bishop Sheen used to say. And sometimes the only way God can get our attention is to let us suffer. Believe me, God doesn't beat us up, but he will let us suffer in order to purify us of our preconceived notions, of our sins, of our attachments to the things of this world, because God is God. And he must insist that we love him first and foremost above everything else. If we put anything else before God, that's idolatry. Even a family member, you know, no, nothing can come before God. We don't miss mass on Sunday to please some human being. We find a way. We find a way to serve the Lord our God and to go to mass on Sunday. Now, if you're taking care of someone who's sick, that's a different story. Unless you can get someone to help you, you need to take care of the sick. And if, if they need constant care and you can't leave them, then you, you send your angel to Mass. But try and get someone to help out to, to spell you for long enough to get to Mass on Sunday. But God wants everyone to hear the gospel. All those people out there on the streets, all those drug addicts who've ruined their lives, God wants them all, the prostitutes, the pimps, the communists, the Freemasons, the Muslims, the Catholics who've been unfaithful, the priests who've committed horrible crimes, which, by the way, it's not that huge a percentage, but it's any one would be horrible. So we pray. We pray for the conversion of sinners. And the first sinner I pray for the conversion of is myself, me. Lord, convert me. Convert me away from my own selfishness, from my preconceived notions, from my looking down at the world because they don't have what I have. Oh, they don't know you, Lord, and they're so horrible and messed up and they see such wretched lives and they're so worthless and, and you know, they're just the scum of the earth. And no, 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 no. They are God's dearly beloved children whom he loves. And the more broken and wounded we are, the more God is drawn to us. And we human beings, we see broken, wounded human beings, and we're, we, we run from them. We're not acting like God. God is drawn to the broken and the wounded. God loves the broken and the wounded, and he desires to, to make them whole, to heal them. But we have to turn to the Lord and heal him, to be healed, and we need to go to confession, and we need to acknowledge our sins. God cannot forgive us of a sin if we don't acknowledge that we've sinned. I didn't do anything wrong. All my judgments are right. I'm 90%. I'm right 90% of the time. Well, honey, that's just not true. There's no human being who's right 90% of the time. It just isn't reality. No human being is right 90% of the time. God is right all the time, and he loves us. And in order to be right with God, we need to be right in our relationship with other human beings. And that means we have to treat every human being with the dignity that is afforded to them by God as his dearly beloved child. So we need to treat one another with dignity and respect. And we need to say only the good things that men need to hear, things that will truly build them up in the Lord. And so we want others to come to Christ. But in order to come to Christ, all of us have to give up our sins. And we need to give up our false judgments of others. 
And we need to give up the idea that we have a right to run other people's lives. God made us all free. I can't force anyone out there to choose to follow God. And you can't force anyone out there to choose to follow God. They have to choose it themselves. And God gives them the freedom to either choose him or reject him. We can pray for them that they will make the right choice because the right choice is to choose God because we were made for God. We were made for God. St. Augustine said, Lord, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. If we don't rest in the Lord, our heart will always be restless. If we settle for the things of this world, if we're putting our hope in the things of this world, if we think the things of this world are what's going to give us security and comfort and fill up our need, no, only God can fill up the longing of the human heart because we were made for God. We were made by God, we were made for God. And every human person was made for God and for union with God. So when we see our brother sinning, we're supposed to pray that they will turn back to the Lord. When we see someone making a mistake or going down a wrong road, we pray that they turn back. And we pray every day that we will be faithful and that we turn away from our sins. Go to confession, go to confession. If you haven't been there for a few weeks, go. Go to confession at least once a month. And if you go to daily mass, go to daily mass. Pray every day and live like Cornelius in the presence of God. Be prayerful people who live in God's presence. Turn to the Lord in your need and you will live. Praise be the Lord, I exclaim, and I am safe from my enemies. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next week on Bible with the Barbers. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests Oh my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love, and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.